Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our service. Uh, thank God that you're able to join us this morning. I'd like to thank uh, Darren and Jesse for leading us in uh, service and, and uh, singing in songs, praises to the Lord. Um, yeah, it's my privilege and joy to be here this morning to uh, share the meditation of my heart upon God's words with you. So let's look to him for help, okay? Father, help us, Lord, this morning. Grant us attentiveness even as we receive your words. Help us to receive with joy. And I pray that may your words take root in our hearts to bear fruits for your glory. I also pray for myself. Help me not to be like the Pharisees who are hypocrites. Help me to not just preach your word, but obey it and live it out in my, lives, in, in my life. For I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> nice coffee. Now, how do you know whether there's really coffee in my cup or I'm just faking it? No, this could just be an empty cup, you know. Now, suppose I were to pour some of the content from my cup into your cup. What will you receive? Coffee, right? <laughs> because there's coffee in my cup. But has there been tea in my cup? Then tea is what you will get. And if there's just air in my cup, then air is all you'll get. The point is whatever is inside my cup is what will come out and what I have to offer. So in last week's talk by uh, Pastor Edmund and his imaginary friends, if you remember, you were here last week, we learned that God is righteous and has made us righteous through Jesus Christ. So the children of God practice righteousness. We also learn that God has poured out his love unto us. Hence, our life must overflow with love for one another. So the children of God, the true believer, practice righteousness and love his brother and sister. And the apostle John will expand and explain what loving one another looks like in verses 11 to 24, which is the focus of today's talk. So I have a breakdown of today's talk for you. It's no love or no love, okay? Uh, grammar Nazis in our midst, forgive me if I pronounce this wrongly, okay? So a true child of God, verse, uh, verses 11 to 15, he will not hate his brother. So John will highlight a negative example of someone with no love, Cain. And then from next point, verses 16 to 18, a true child of God will not be indifferent to his brother's needs. And here, John will highlight for us a positive example, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, in verses 19 to 24, he assures believers that indeed we belong to God if we keep his commandments. So that's where we are heading today. So the first point, I'll read the passage for us, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So in this passage, John reminds his readers that as children of God, we are called to love one another. And the one person we shouldn't emulate is Cain, who's infamous for being the epitome of unlove. And John highlights a few things about Cain for us. In verse 12, Cain is of the evil one. Cain belongs to the devil. He's not a child of God. And next, he calls Cain a murderer. Now, how many of us here are brave enough to kill a cockroach? Anyone brave enough to kill a cockroach? Quite a few, right? Yeah. But Cain is a cold-blooded murderer who, have, who has no qualms to kill his very own brother. And why? Why would he do such a terrible thing? What's the motive for the murder? Well, according to this passage, John simply concludes that, that Cain's deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And to understand how John derived these conclusions, I think it's important for us to look at Genesis chapter 4, at the event that surrounds the murder. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the, fir of the first fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Next. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. So you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You know, there are so many bad guys in the Bible, right? There's uh, Judas who betrayed our Lord. You know, why, why would John choose Cain as, an, as a negative example for us? Why not Judas or maybe Joseph's brother who also sought to, um, plotted to murder him? Or perhaps there's also Lamech, Cain's descendant, who murdered a young man and brags about it. Well, in all likelihood, <coughs> Cain is highlighted to show the depravity of mankind. <coughs> Cain is the, the first baby born into the world. He's a murderer. Perhaps John chose Cain to show that we are more than capable of such hideous sin. This is sibling rivalry at its worst. Now, what is the event that leads up to the murder of Abel? What is the event that leads up to the murder of Abel? It is 
worship. Both of them came to God to offer a sacrifice as worship. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And so Cain proceeds to murder the one who offers a true sacrifice. And so Cain, Cain is a prototype of a fake worshipper. The murder reveals that his outward worship of God is fake as he acted unlovingly towards his brother. So just because, you know, we are all present here this morning as worshippers doesn't make us a true worshipper if you have no love in your heart for your brother. And why did Cain murder his brother? Because his heart was filled with jealousy, with envy and rage towards Abel. You see, Abel lived as a testimony to God. He was faithful and righteous. And Cain, Cain hates that and kills him. And at the heart of this narrative is the question Cain asks. When God confronts him concerning the death of his brother, Abel, he, God asks him, where is Abel, your brother? And this is what Cain answered, asked God. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to this question is a resounding yes. You are your brother's keeper. Our brother's well-being matters to us. And this is perhaps why John applies the story of Cain in this letter. The call to love one another. For we are our brother's brother and sister's keeper. Moving on, we see that John gives his readers two warnings. The first warning is that the world hates us. So John draws the parallel between Cain and Abel and the world and the church. See, Abel did right before God, yet he was opposed and murdered by Cain. Likewise for the church. John warns his readers in verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, who is this world that hates the church? Well, in John's context, the world that he's referring to are the secessionists, those who turned their backs on Christ and left for the world. But on a broader aspect, Cain is the prototype of the world, the one who is of the evil one. The world refers to the posterity of Cain, all who comes after him. You see, Abel did right before God, yet was opposed. And this is the dynamic of the church in every age. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, evil people hate God, and they hate us. They hate righteousness because their own deeds were evil. They love darkness and they hate the light. And how does the world hate God and the church? See, when we act with the purest of intention and share the gospel with them, right, out of love, hoping that they come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? They get offended. They get angry and they unfriend us on Facebook and they stop talking to us. 
when we advocate for faithful monogamous relationship, when we advocate for sexual purity, we are portrayed as backward and oppressive. When we stand to protect the lives of unborn babies, we are painted as anti-women's rights and anti-freedom. And the list goes on. See, if the world can reject and crucify the righteous one of God, then don't be surprised if the world hates you. And we are by, by nature like Cain. We live under God's judgment. And John tells us in verse 14 that we have passed out of death into life. So what is John talking about here? No? What is this pass out of death into life? And how is this even possible? John chapter 5, verse 24 will help us to understand this a bit better. It says, very, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged and has crossed over from death to life. The one who hears and believes in Jesus has eternal life. He has received new life. He does not come into judgment, meaning he will not be condemned, but has passed from death to life. The death sentence hanging over our head is removed, and we now stand righteous before God because of faith in Jesus. And we have been declared righteous to do what is right. We have been set free from sin to love. Love is the fruit, the evidence, the mark of a true believer made alive in Christ. And so this is where John gives the second warning. He says, yes, don't be surprised if the world hates you, but be very surprised, be concerned if you hate your brother. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you hate your brother, John calls you a murderer. And our Lord Jesus gave a similar warning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, that the one who's angry with his brother is deemed a murderer and he faces judgment. And John warns, he warns that you abide in death. There's no eternal life for you. A lack of love is the evidence of your spiritual death. So we know that, that hate comes in many forms. You know, perhaps a brother stepped up to serve as a deacon or an elder, and we are jealous of them, and so we vote against them at ACM. Or a brother or sister who knows the Bible more than us and was asked to serve as a DG leader, and we resent them and make life difficult for them during Bible study. Or we see people with various gifts bestowed upon them by the Lord, and they stand up here to serve us. And we become very critical of them as we secretly desire the limelight on stage. Or maybe we envy and harbour bitterness against those whose marriage and life seems perfect while ours is falling apart. You know, a subtle form of uh, hate is this, you know, uh, uh, there's a youth in basic in our youth group. Uh, he didn't like one of the newcomers. So, uh, yeah, so he came to ask me. 
He said, Pastor Jason, can I, uh, this newcomer, we have a mutual friend. Can I get this mutual friend to invite him to his church? Maybe he might like the other church better. That's quite a brilliant way of getting rid of someone, isn't it? And if today you harbor bitterness and resentment against your brother or sister, let me give you this warning from Genesis chapter 4. When Cain was angry with Abel, this is what God said to Cain. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you're angry with your brother or sister, sin is crouching at your door. Don't give the devil a foothold into your heart to work on your anger and hatred. If you do, then now you're in cahoot with the enemy. For sin and Satan are the enemies, not your brother and sister in Christ. So don't be like Cain, a fake worshipper who only offers God outward worship, yet have no love for his brother. Love for one another is the evidence that we are true believer of God, that we have been born again, made alive in Christ. But what does it mean to love one another? So in verse 16, John will give us the ultimate example of true love. And in verse 17, he will simplify it for us. Verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down, Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. See, while Cain murdered his brother, Jesus died for his enemies, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. So by this, we know love. Because we see that God demonstrated, God made known his love to us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, whose love enables us to love one another. Slide, please. So through Jesus' sacrificial love, emotionally, we experience and feel the love of God. Cognitively, we understand the standard, the measure, the yardstick of true love. And volitionally, we are empowered, we are motivated by the love of Christ to love one another. His love overflows from our lives to others. And in verse 17, John simplifies this call to lay down our lives for one another. No, he applies it to the church context. He simplifies it for us. I mean, sacrificial love is not jumping in front of the bus to die for your brother. I mean, you can do that, but it's just two dead bodies. But sacrificial love is expressed in day-to-day -day context. So in verses 17 and 18, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, love is not this sentimental feeling, this tinkling of my heart, you know. True love involves open heart and open palms to meet the needs 
of your brother. You are to love in deed and in truth. If it doesn't cost you anything, then most likely it is not love. Because sacrificial love is costly love. It will cost you your time, your effort, your money. And in the earlier section, John warns that the fake uh, worshipper has no love for others. And this is seen in their hatred for the brothers. Now in this section, unlove is seen in our indifference to the needs of our brothers. I believe you recall the parable of the sower, or rather, sorry, the, what, what am I talking? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Sorry, wrong, wrong parable. The priest and the Levite who were indifferent to the need of the injured man. They were not merely doing nothing. They were doing wrong. They were cruel for not helping the injured person. So verse 17, John called us to use our worldly goods to help the needy. See, this is also a test. A test to see, that, a test to see whether you love God or you love the world. It's an echo of chapter 2, verse 15, the passage which I preached two weeks ago. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is your worldly possession more precious than your brother? Is your worldly possession more important than obeying God's command? Now, perhaps you may ask, but we are quite affluent right across the board. So who are the needy in our midst and how can we help? I'd just like to share a few illustrations with us. This is where, uh, if you're asleep, this is where you actually wake up and listen to my story. I cannot remember who attended my wedding. There were too many people and my eyes, my, my eyes were only on my gorgeous bride who will be coming for the 11.30 service later. But I do remember who attended my father's wake or my father's funeral. I recall that I was emotionally drained and physically exhausted, having by my father's uh, bedside in hospital for, for many days and having to arrange or make all the funeral arrangements and watching over the casket at the void deck for two nights in a row. I was deeply touched when a brother in Christ came and offered to accompany me to watch over the, the casket overnight. He sacrificed his sleep to stay by my side, and this allows me to get some rest. And the next morning, he even bought breakfast for me. And even after more than 20 years, I still remember fondly his love for me, which I'll be grateful to him for eternity. And some of you would uh, know our late sister, Janet Chua, uh, from Elder JC's DG. Yeah, our dear sister Janet was called home to the Lord earlier this year. Did you know what her DG did for her when she was sick? Her DG members took time off to accompany her on her hospital visits. And when she received palliative care at home, her DG member took turns to care for her. And as Janet came from a small family with aged parents, her DG sisters ministered to Janet's mum and assured Janet that they would care for her mum after she passed on. 
implying to Janet that your mum will be my mum. And throughout that few days of wait, her DG took turns to be on shift to serve as usher at the wake. If this is not love, I don't know what is. And for today's sermon, I will just be the bad guy, you know. Uh, I will say something which you might not like me, like to hear, but I will say it gently and in love. See, there's no costly love if you are watching service in the comfort of your homes and not being part of the actual church. I know some may have genuine reasons to stay away. Perhaps you're sick or you're vulnerable. But for the rest of us, I don't see how one can establish a deep, genuine relationship where we know and serve each other's needs when you're not part of a DG and stay away, stay away from the body of Christ. See, the call to love one another is a call for you to come for physical Christian gathering. How can you love your brothers or sisters if you have zero interaction with anyone? How can you love others when you don't even know their names? You are a worshipper, not a, not a consumer. And so we love the invisible God by loving the visible church. Of course, you may ask then, but Pastor Jason, bereavement don't happen every day in ARPC, right? So how does sacrificial love look like in church on a day-to-day context? You all know, sometimes uh, other pastors may come up here to preach and sometimes they, they may paint uh, some of our pastors in a negative light, you know, like Pastor Yachao is always sleeping or dreaming and things like that. But I like to uh, stand in defense of my fellow pastors. You know, Pastor Yachao, he has a big heart. He's known for his big-heartedness, not just because he's big physically, but he has a big heart. He, you know, his Mandarin men only have about 100 members or so, but whenever one of you, you know, have an elderly parent or relative who needs to hear the gospel or to be visited and prayed for in hospital and you call him, he will surely go down, even though he don't know you or don't know that person. And just a few weeks ago, um, yeah, I went down to preach the gospel to uh, one of the, uh, our members, our father. Um, and then the following week, I called Pastor Yachao, say, I, I need help. I, I, can't, I can't go down. Can you follow up with this person? He went down and shared the gospel, and the person actually prayed the sinner's prayer. And his conversion rate is much higher than mine. <laughs> and Pastor Jeff, who's also involved in the bereavement ministry with me, he will go down to members' wing, even though he may not know you. He don't know, sometimes he don't, don't know some of the, of the member. And even if the, the funeral is a non-Christian funeral, he will still make the effort to go down because he loves you. And Pastor Adrian and Joe, you know, whenever they go for holiday, they will say, here's my car keys. I'm away for two weeks. You can have my car. You know, and uh, you know, uh, not too long ago, Pastor, ya- uh, Pastor Lak Yong borrowed uh, Pastor Chris' car while he was away and he was speeding down the road here. And he received a, a, a parking ticket, a speeding fine. Yeah, uh, guess who, who, who picks up the fine? <laughs> and Pastor Roger and uh, the rest of the basic leaders. You know, so, some uh, basic leaders and all, they, we have, they have new homes. And they open their homes to the basic youth because they need a place to gather. Do you know what it's like to have a group of teenagers coming to your home? 
No, it's like a tornado ripping through your home. It's like a swarm of locusts invading your kitchen. They leave a trail of destruction behind them. I, I got some of my youth up there, but you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and despite not having any helper and having to do all the cleaning after that on their own, we still love having them in our homes because we love them. We are commanded to love them. And they are the future of our church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, love is opening our hearts, our wallets, our homes, our cars, to help our brother in need. For we are stewards, not owners of our worldly possession. For we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And generosity, generosity is not based on the size of your wallet or your homes or your car. It's based on the size of your heart. Slide. If your heart is open, then there is no lack of opportunity to help. But if your heart is closed, there's no lack of excuses not to help. So if you're someone who's known in church for your generosity and your true love, people will naturally come to you for when they need help, isn't it? And when we increase in love for one another, we are assured that we are true worshipper. We are spiritually alive. So don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. Love one another with sacrificial love. And now to the last point, verses 19 to 24. So what's the connection between this passage and the previous one? Well, uh, John Stock calls this passage a most vexing passage. There, were, there are so many uh, views out there on this passage. Uh, I will go with the overall pastoral approach of this epistle and try to stick close to the context of this chapter. The focus from 19 to 24, the focus is not on condemnation, but on the assurance and confidence that we have in Christ. So verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So in contrast to the fake worshippers who hate and close their hearts to the needs of others, we are the true worshippers. And love for fellow believers is the evidence, is the mark, is the fruit of us knowing God. We are children of God, and our cup is overflowing with love. And this reassures us, reassures our heart before God. And John goes on to talk about the condemning heart and the uncondemning heart. In verse uh, 20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. So for whenever our heart condemns us for being, being stingy, for closing our heart to the needs of others, even though we are able to help, God, God is greater than our heart. God does not share in the stinginess, in the meanness of our heart. God is far more generous and compassionate towards the need of the needy. So focus on his generosity to overcome the stinginess of our own hearts, to seek to love like God. And he knows everything, including our heart, whatever is going on within our hearts. So stingy hearts, 
can come clean before God. And next, verse 21 to 22, John talks about the uncondemning heart and its blessings. So he's, he, he writes, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. So if we act generously in love to meet the need of our brothers and sisters, then our heart does not condemn us. And if our heart does not condemn us, we are confident. There's two confidence. One, first in, in 21, we are confident to stand before God. Second confident, we are confident that God will hear and answer our prayers. You know, sometimes when you, are, you have committed some sin, it's very hard to come to God in prayer. It's very hard to stand before Him, right, whenever we sin against God. But a heart, an uncondemning heart, can, can be confident to come before God. Just want to have on a side note on verse 22, it says, you know, when we ask in our prayer, you know, uh, whatever we ask, we receive from, from God. Uh, this is not a blank check from God. The, the one who, so the one who asks according to his will, okay? the one who keeps his commandments and do what pleases him. So if you do what pleases God, then naturally your prayer will be in alignment with his will. And your prayer won't be selfish prayer. So just want to clarify that it's not a blank check from God. But when you are in alignment with God's will, you'll pray according to his will and he will answer you. And the reason for this confidence in verse 22 is because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this commandment is mentioned in verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So here, John's argument comes a full circle. A true worshipper believes in Jesus and love one another. The one who worships God in truth must worship him on his terms and does what he commands. And the true worshipper, having, having received God's love, is also commanded to love one another. This is the kind of worship that is acceptable to God and pleases him. So what is in your cup? Is God's love in there? Or is there just hot air? Are you a true child of God? Or are you faking it? The point is that whatever is inside your cup is what will come out and what you have to offer to others. As Jesus has poured out his sacrificial love for us, may we pour out sacrificial love for one another. This is our true worship of God. Let's pray. Father, you are love. And you have expressed and manifested your love to us by sending Jesus, your Son, to die for us. People who are stiff-necked and stubborn, wretched sinners who rebel against you. Yet, Father, 
while we were yet your enemies, Christ died for us. Father, I just pray for all of us here this morning to understand the height, the depth, the length of your great love towards us. And may your love move us. May your generous love move us to be generous towards one another. Give us open hearts to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ here. And that, that by loving one another, we complete your love in our lives. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.